good evening. Come to the final shear. In Hilfus Muxa, we've spent the bulk of the winter working our way through the Halakhas of Muxa. And as we mentioned right at the beginning, if for those who can recall, that there's basically six, we divide into seven categories of Muxa. We've spent a long time discussing the Halakhas of Muxa, of Muxa, that's Muxa for something which is has intrinsic value, be it monetary value or or um, any other sort of value to the person and if you set it aside and it becomes muksa, we've spent a long time talking about kalim shemalach isa that's a vessel whose primary function is one of an isa we discussed that length and the difference in the isure tiltal which type of movement is permitted and which type of movement isn't permitted we discussed that length, a great length, our lochas of bosses which includes the halachas of Migudis Katsoi, that's something which is muksa from the beginning of Shabbos, remains muksa for the rest of Shabbos, uh, and the halachas of Bosis, something which is a base to a muksa, and that's really left us in one shear to discuss the final three, uh, which really is three and a half, the final four parts of muksa, that's muksa machmas kufoi, something which has no intrinsic function, uh, muksa machmas issa, something which is its basic function comes via an Issa, as we'll discuss that in a moment. Muksa Machmas Mir, something which is repulsive and therefore is Muksa. And the final Muksa, which is Noilad. Muksa Machmas Issa, it goes under the banner of Kalim Shonach, the Issa of Issa. So there really there's only three new categories, but three and a half we'll call them the categories which we haven't discussed very much at all. And we need to at least give it some time, at least give it some time to give it, to, to do justice to those elements of Muxa. So since we really are short of time, and we've got quite a bit to get through, and I don't want to keep everybody too late this evening, because it's Erev Purim, and you've all got your Shlach to prepare. So I'm going to change from tradition, and instead of doing Chazor of what we learned in the previous year, we're going to go straight into the deep end and discuss the areas of Muxa that we want to discuss today. So let's make a start with Muxa Machmas Gufoy, which is, again, a Muxa which is extremely applicable and can be found regularly on, a, on an average Shabbos. Muqsa Mahmoud's Kufa, as we mentioned a moment ago, is something, an item, any item, that has no intrinsic function. Now, an item which has no intrinsic, intrinsic function, therefore, by definition, means it's not a vessel, it's not something that's been made for any purpose. It's an item with no intrinsic function whatsoever. Simplest example, I'll run through a whole list of examples, but the simplest example is a rock. You go into your garden and you find a rock in your backyard, that, that rock has no intrinsic function. It's a rock, it has no function whatsoever. It's meant to be a piece of rock, piece of stone, stay where it is. It has no purpose in <coughs> functioning, it has no purpose for yourself to use it as any sort of means or medium for any, any function whatsoever. So, f- to run through a list of items which are muksa machmas gufi would be a rock, or bricks, gravel, sand, twigs, any word money is considered a Muqsa Mahmoud Kufay. So the money has value, but it has no function. That you don't actually use money, a coin, for anything. You use it as to buy, but that's not considered a function in real terms. A function is to, uh, to use the item as a means to serve you in some way or another. To use it as a vessel, to use it as a knife, a fork. They are vessels which have a function. Money has no function, no intrinsic function. It has an intrinsic value, but it has no intrinsic function. Inedible foods. Uh, have no function at all. They're not edible, and therefore they are useless. They have, they have no function whatsoever, and therefore they're considered muksa machmas gufay. Included in edible foods would be potatoes, raw potatoes would be muksa, rice, beans, flour, inedible peels, the pips of 
fruits, etc. The list is almost endless. Almost endless. You will, wherever you turn in your home, you will find on Shabbos things which are muksma machmas Things which have no intrinsic uh, function whatsoever, and therefore, since they have no function, they have, ne- they have not been set aside for use on Shabbos, and if they haven't been set aside for use on Shabbos, they now have what we call, uh, right way through, the halachas of muksa. They have no achona, they're not being prepared for Shabbos. Something which is not prepared is considered muksa. So anything which has no intrinsic value, no intrinsic function, is considered muksa machmas and may not be used, may not be moved on Shabbos at all. The halacha of a kedush and sorry, the halacha of muksa machmas is again one of the strict, strict stages of of muksa where no tiltul whatsoever is permitted. Muksa machmas sorry, we explained all tiltul, all movement is forbidden. Including muksa, including moving it, moving it because you want the article, moving the circumstance because you want the space of the article, or moving it for the protection of the article. All those three types of movement are completely forbidden when it comes to chesaron kiss. When it came to keli shemalachdeli, it says since a keli is a vessel and does have an intrinsic function, but its primary use is for an issa, Chazal were more lenient with regards to the issa tilt and allowed you to move it the if you need the item, or the circumstance if you need the place of the item, but did not allow you to move it for the sake of the item, it goes into the strict category and all tilted is forbidden. So I may not move a stone or rock or earth or sand or whatever it may be, or potatoes in my cupboard, just purely because I need the space in the cupboard, I may not move it, or if I fancy that potato to use as a, uh, a wedge to put under the, under the table, because the table is, uh, isn't quite uh, steady, so I'm going to use that as a, a wedge. Fantastic idea, use a small little potato, they come very small now, potatoes, so they're, they're perfect. But I can't use it for that because it's muksa. So I can't use it for the Sarev Kufay, I can't use it for the Sarev And of course, if you're worried the potatoes are in, in a position, in a cupboard which is too hot for it, and you want to move them to protect those potatoes, definitely you may not move those potatoes. Muksa Machmas Kufay is completely also, it has the strictest level of isotilkul that, is, uh, that applies to the halakhas of Muksa. Again, uh, uh, to give you another example of Muksa Machmas Kufay, which isn't so straightforward, is if you would have a broken keli, if you would have a vessel which breaks, a chair, suddenly your chair broke, Shabbat somebody sat on it and it snapped, now the, the pieces of, chair, uh, of that chair have no function anymore. A broken chair is useless. Nobody can sit on a broken chair. A useless chair means it has no function. If it has no function, it is now a keli, which is muksa machmas kufa. So not keli, it is a muksa machmas kufa. It is not a keli anymore. It has no function. So it's a muksa machmas kufa, and that broken chair is completely muksa. May not be moved. May not be moved for its sake, may not be moved for the space, may not be moved to protect it from further damage. So if you. We'll discuss a bit later, uh, we will move in that direction. There's always means of moving muksa, as we discussed right at the beginning. There's, uh, you can move it with your leg. When necessary, there's always a way to get muksa moved from the position it's in. But there are times when we can move certain muksa. We'll come back to that a bit later, later on this year. <coughs> so, if you were making a kiddush on Shabbos and you had the people going around the back, through your back door, and the back door was a windy day like today, and the back door kept on banging shut, and you fancied picking up uh, some stone that was lying on the side there to use it as a doorstop, that would be completely also because you're now using something which has no intrinsic function and you're trying to use it on Shabbos, you're moving it on Shabbos, that's muksa, that would be also. However, there are ways of preparing an article which has no intrinsic function and enable it to be used for Shabbos. 
Now you can prepare something. You can set it aside for use in two ways. You can set it aside for use if you intend to use it forever. You intend to use it forever as now a functioning article. Or you can sometimes say, I want this stone. I'm making a kiddish tomorrow. I don't ever want a stone for a doorstop. But tomorrow, Shabbos, I'm going to need this stone for a doorstop. So I just want to use this stone for this Shabbos. But you have no intention of ever using this stone again. Once Shabbos is passed, you're going to throw it into the back of the garden. And who knows where it's going to go. You have no long-term usage for this item, for this article. So there, there's a fundamental difference in how you prepare those two articles for Shabbos. If the article that you are preparing for Shabbos now is something which you intend to use forever. So an example would be, if you have a broken camera, or you have a broken phone, or broken mobile phone, or anything like that, which, once it's broken, it really it loses its function, should be Muxa It should now become Muxa because it has no, no intrinsic function. A broken phone is useless, it has no purpose. However, you've got this brainwave, and you, 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 you've got a box of, of, I don't know, crockery, toy crockery. You think now you can put this, this telephone in there and add it to your toy box. You've got now another free toy, didn't cost you anything, and you put it into the toy box, and, it's not, and you're not going to use it as a toy. So in your mind, you've decided to change the function of this article from a non-function article to a functioning toy. A toy is an article, is a, is a function, a usage of, of playing is a usage which is considered a function for an item. If I therefore, in my mind, I don't have to do any more than that, I have this broken telephone on the side, and I think to myself, fantastic, I've got children, grandchildren, nephews, nieces, aunts, uncles, whoever they are, coming to play tomorrow, unbelievable, here we are, I've got a new toy for them. Then, in, by thinking in my mind that I want to set this item aside for playing, for a toy, it becomes now a toy, and it's perfectly not much at all. I don't need to do any more than that. I just have to think in my mind that this item is now an item with a use called the use of a toy. And I'm just giving an example of it. There's, there's thousands of other examples. If you set aside a, a piece of nice piece of wood purely as a, a, a regular doorstop, you need one in, in your front room, your front room door keeps on slamming shut. So you've got a nice, you find outside a lovely piece of log which is perfect, and you bring it in, you say, right, I'm setting this aside now for my doorstop in my front room, fine, it now is not muksa anymore, it's not muksa machma skufa, it becomes a functioning item, and the functioning item is not muksa. It has to be done before Shabbos. It has to be done before Shabbos, so we'll see in a moment. However, if, however, if you only intend to use it for one Shabbos, that means you, 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 want to, you want to use it for temporary use, not for permanent use, then here the halach is much more strict. In order to be able to turn something from a non-functioning item into a temporary functioning item, you actually, you actually have to do some physical change the article. So, if you were taking a piece of wood and you want to use it as a doorstop, you'd have to perhaps smooth it or cut it aside or something like that in order to actually do some action, change the article to a slightly new article. By changing it, you now mm. set it aside for its purpose, which you want to use it for, and now becomes a functioning article. If, however, you think in your mind, I want this to use this stone just for this Shabbos, and after that I have no intention of using it, that stone remains muksa. A temporary usage is not considered a, a function unless you actually do something physical to the item to turn it into a functioning item. Permanent, long-term usage, you don't have to do anything to the item, you just have to think. Temporary usage, you have to actually do something physical to the item to change the item into an item which now has a function. Therefore, to turn the doorstop into a temporary doorstop, change it. Chip the, the stone, make it smaller, take the wood, smooth it, smooth it etc. Any doesn't have to be a huge difference. Just some small action which changes the very uh, status of the very the, the very article that you want to use into a slightly new article, a slightly different article. That then changes it from muksa machmas to a functioning article, and it's not muksa at all. Would cleaning it be the same? Would cleaning it be the same as 
it, it could be cleaning of the stem. Some people say wrapping it in, in tissue paper. It's not 100% clear what, uh, what is it. It's got to be some small action. Whether cleaning actually changes the article, perhaps cleaning just takes the dirt off it, it might not be good enough. You've got to give it a new, a, a new, a new face. So they say wrapping it in a plastic bag might be good enough because you're, you're giving it a new, a complete new form. But no, it's not clear. But some level of change has to be done to the actual item in order to turn it from a non-functioning item into a functioning item. If, however, as we said, it's for long-term use, then all you have to do is think, in my mind, I want this item for long-term use, and it's fine. However, as you mentioned before, on Shabbos this is no good. To find a stone on Shabbos and say, right, I'm now designating this stone for my doorstop for the rest of its life, and I'm going to use it week in, week out as a doorstop, that's no good. Because we, we now revert back to the halakha which we discussed a few shorim ago, of maybe this kasoide bein hashemoshos is kasoide kuleyomus, something which is muksa as Shabbos comes in. On the onset of Shabbos, something is muksa. Even if that muksa removed, the cause of the muksa is removed throughout, some, throughout the, the time of Shabbos, somewhere in the middle of Shabbos, the reason why this item is muksa is now not there anymore, but the item will remain muksa because you cannot prepare something on Shabbos. Preparation for Shabbos, the background to Muksa is that you can only prepare an item before Shabbos. You cannot prepare an item on Shabbos. So any item you want to now prepare as an item with a usage on Shabbos is no good. It has no function because when Shabbos came in it was without a function. As Shabbos progresses you cannot change that into a functioning item. You have to wait till after Shabbos and you can change it for the, for the, for the coming Shabbos. But on Shabbos itself we get back to the halakha of Migdis Katsoyle Bein it's Katsoyle Kuliyama. In brief, that's the halachas of, of Muqsa Mahmas Kufay, uh, an item which has no intrinsic function. We can go on forever. I will give you some more examples for the end of Shir, some more practical examples of Muqsa Mahmas Kufay together with um, some of the other uh, Muqsas that we're going to discuss. But that's in brief the, the background and the understanding of Muqsa Mahmas Kufay. A non-functioning item has no purpose, therefore it's Muqsa. You can change an item to an item with a purpose by setting it aside for long-term use or by actually physically changing it for short-term use. Let's move on to now Muqsa Mahmas Issa. Muqsa Mahmas Issa is an item which again is not a vessel, it's not a keli, it has no intrinsic purpose as such, but it has a purpose to it, as we'll see in a moment, but the function and the use and the method of arriving at this item is only through an Issa. So we can describe Muqsa Mahmas Issa in really two, perhaps even three ways. You can have Muqsa Mahmas Issa, something which is own, the use of it will only be through an Issa. Its function is only a function of an Issa. It's not a vessel but its function is only a function of an Issa, and we'll discuss in a moment. The only way you can use it is by transgressing some Issa, or the only means of accessing it is through an Issa. Either of those is Muqsa Mahmas Issa. So let me give you some examples of what Muqsa Mahmas Issa would be. If you had wine in your house, wine, and you left the bottle half open, that's something which is very relevant for Purim. If you have wine which is not Mavushal, uncooked wine, normal wine, pure wine, uh, they say uh, wine which is not pasteurized, which is not cooked is better wine, so in Purim you're going to put out your best wine, you're going to put uncooked wine on the table it's going to be normal, plain wine, straight out of the, uh, uh, the, the cask it's, it's uh, bottled after, I don't know how many years perfect wine, and you leave it on the table open and along comes your cleaner, and she moves it, etc, etc, and who knows what she does with it, go and ask Yashida whether the wine's also, but yain stam wine which has been left and be moved by a non-Jew, has a halakhic issue is it considered Yain some wine which Chazal said you may not drink because a non-Jew has touched it, or is it not? Let's assume that the halakha is that it's called Yain Stam, as it could be in most cases. It would probably be also because of Yain Stam. Wine which has been moved by a non-Jew is considered Yain Stam. You now have a bottle of Yain Stam on your kit, on your table, and it's Shabbos. 
may you move it, may you not move it. And the answer is, since this wine, the use of this wine is for drinking, and you may not drink this wine, because to drink this wine, this wine is also is forbidden, because it's yain stam, this wine now becomes muktzah. Because the function of this wine is a function which is also, therefore it becomes also for you. It becomes muktzah, and you may not use it. In other words, since you cannot partake of this wine, it has no purpose for you. Purposeless wine is a wine without a hachana, and therefore it may not be moved or used on Shabbos at all. <coughs> fruit which has been picked or fell off a tree on Shabbos. Again, that fruit would be muksa. Though the fruit itself is fine, and there's no, no reason why you can't eat fruit on Shabbos. Fruit is perfectly permitted. It's a function which is perfectly permitted to eat fruit. Probably a, a positive thing to do, eat fruit on Shabbos. But since you could not access this fruit on Shabbos, this fruit was on the tree when Shabbos came in, you can't access this fruit on Shabbos without transgressing an issa of Felicia, of Tolush, of detaching the fruit from the tree, which is a malach on Shabbos. So once you cannot access something, unless you're going to transgress an issa, that item now becomes muksa. It's been set aside. It's set aside to... It's set aside from being used because you can't access it unless you're transgressing an so anything which you can't access because without transgressing an ISSA, or anything that you can't use without being over some sort of ISSA, that item now becomes Muqsa and Shabbos. So as we said, wine which has been moved by non-Jew would be Muqsa because it, its function is now to drink, and drinking is Osa. Fruit which is on a tree, even if now it's been pulled off a tree by a non-Jew, or it's been pulled off a tree, it fell down on Shabbos. The item is Muqsa. Why? Because when the onset of Shabbos, there was no way you could access that fruit without transgressing the So you've set it aside because you don't want to, be tra- you don't want to transgress the Isra. The, uh, the item now becomes Muqsa Rahmat Isra. Fruit juice is something which... Uh, it, to, to, to squeeze fruit and make juice on Shabbos is also. So therefore fruit juice, even fruit which... even juice which is seeped out of its own into as juice, not into a food. As juice is considered, again, something which you couldn't access without an Issa, and therefore would become Muksa on Shabbos. To stretch it a stage further, if the only way you could use an item, even if the item itself is not really Muksa, but the only way you could use the item would, would be by transgressing an Issa, that would also go under the banner of Muksa Machmas Issa. And a, a, a simple example would be, if you put your washing in the washing machine on Erev Shabbos, and Shabbos, just before Shabbos came in, you hung it up on your washing line, wherever your washing line is. Now, washing, if it's wet, wet that to the point that you can be it's wet enough that you can transfer the dampness from the clothing onto another item that's how wet it has to be whether you actually get that level of wetness nowadays after a spin is debatable but modern machines they, they ring they dry the spin is so powerful that there's very, very little moisture left in the clothing when, when you take them out of the washing machine but let's talk about a normal, normal piece of clothing which you wash in the sink it's wet and you hang it up there is no way you can actually move or use that item without being over a malach of skita, without squeezing. Therefore, this item now has no function without somehow transgressing an issa, the item becomes muksa. So wet washing, which washing which is wet, to that level, that, that degree of wetness, tefer hamalach natfia, wet which tra- you'll be able to transfer the wetness from the, item, from the clothing, the item of clothing, or from whatever it may be, onto another item, then that piece of clothing is muksa for the whole for the duration of Shabbos. If it's just damp, but you can't transfer the wetness, then it's not muksa. That's wet. That, that would be wet. But if you take modern clothing, you take... In my washing machine, you 
Most washing machines, or, or if when they're on, on most modern washing machines, when they spin, they really become up pretty dry. And if it's not exactly when it comes out, give it a few minutes, and it, it, it's lost that. But if you imagine the olden days when you washed it in a, in, a, in a tub, and it was really wringing wet, and even after you, you, you uh, put it through the, whatever you call it, and you dried it, it was it, the mangle, that's right, and you dried it, and it was, uh, it, it still wasn't anywhere near as, as dry as when it comes out of a, of a modern washing machine. That is very wet. And you can easily take that and transfer the wetness onto another, onto another article, onto, onto anything. And th- therefore constitutes a problem of schita and becomes muxa for the duration of shop. If you take stuff out of the washing machine on Friday afternoon and hang it up, can you wear it Shabbos morning? So if it's not wet, if it's the washing machine is a good one? No, no, no. When Shabbos comes in, if it's not wet. If it's not wet when Shabbos comes in, then you can wear it. If it's quite wet when Shabbos comes in, then you can't. I don't know what washing machine you have, m- m- Mrs. Graydon, but don't tell me now. Wait till after the shift. <laughs> the halakha of Muqsa Mahmasissa, the halakha of Muqsa Mahmasissa is the same as Muqsa Mahmas Gufoy. Though it's Muqsa Mahmasissa, and with a keli shemalakhta de'issa, there is a, 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 an allowance to move it, the serif gufoy, the serif mukhoi, but that's only because it's a keli, because it's a vessel. Muqsa Mahmasissa is talking about something which is not permitted to be used because of a isa, but since it's not a keli, it's not a vessel, that dispensation doesn't, doesn't exist here. It wasn't given to this type of muksa, to that level of muksa, and therefore all tiltal is completely offered with muksa machmasisa. So, wet washing machine, completely wet. You've got it hanging up in your garden and you want to use your garden to play football on Shabbos, you can't, I'm afraid. The washing cannot be moved, even though you want the space where the washing is. Too bad. Nothing you can do about it. You want the tablecloth, you've hung the tablecloth up before Shabbos, it's wet, you want to use it for your Shabbos morning uh, or, or clothing which you want to wear on Shabbos, you can't. If it was wet when Shabbos came in, it's completely muksa. It's muksa machmas issa, which carries again the strictest level of, of uh, issa tiltal, which <coughs> does not allow you to move it at all, at all for any function, and therefore it cannot be used, not lugufa, not lemkoma, and of course not nicham so again, we're giving you a small background of Muqsa Mahmasissa. Using your imagination, you can find many other cases of Muqsa Mahmasissa. It's not as relevant as Muqsa Mahmasgufa. Muqsa Mahmasgufa is uh, extremely relevant, as we've mentioned, all around the house. We mentioned a few weeks ago, if you have frozen meat in your freezer, then that, that, that frozen meat is Muqsa Mahmasgufa. It has no, no function, and therefore it, it is Muqsa, and therefore can turn your drawer into a bosses, etc., which we discussed at length in the lot of the bosses. You will find Muqsa Mahmasgufa in every nook and cranny of your home. You won't find Muqsa Mahmas Issa everywhere. You can come across Muqsa Mahmas Issa, but it's not as regular as Muqsa Mahmas Gufay. Moving on to a, the next level of Muqsa, which is the uh, second level of Muqsa. The Muqsa Mahmas Issa really belongs to the category of Kedish and So we would like to discuss now Muqsa Mahmas Mius, something which is repulsive. Something which is repulsive is Muqsa, because something which is repulsive you're not going to use. You're not going to use something which is despicable and which uh, makes you feel sick and <coughs> you're, you're just repulsed by the very fact of that the item is there. You are never going to use something repulsive. If you're not going to use it, then that in, by virtue of the fact that you're not going to use it, that means you're set it aside from use, it now becomes muksa. So anything which is repulsive is considered muksa. So an example of something which is repulsive, which is given the Chazal, the example would be if you found a dead mouse. Now, I was waiting for that. <laughs> a dead rodent is repulsive, correct? It is absolutely disgusting. There's no one in this room who will say to you that a dead rodent isn't disgusting. Therefore, since it is disgusting, a dead mouse, a dead rodent, a rat, it could be anything. You use your imagination. 
You live near the, near the heat, not me. <laughs> it's totally repulsive. You would never ever use it, not for a doorstop, not for anything. <laughs> Therefore, it now becomes Mutsa. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it was just to give you an idea of why you should want to move it. That's all. <laughs> sorry? You might want to get out of it. We'll discuss that in a moment. We will discuss it. We'll talk about now plain movement. We will discuss uh, moving it to get out of the way a bit later. Um, something which is repulsive is is moksha. A much more simple example of something which is repulsive is if you have mouldy food. If you open up your your fruit cupboard and you uh, you suddenly open, you look inside and you see that there's a mouldy apple or a mouldy uh, potato, whatever it may be. It's, this, it's repulsive, it's despicable, you don't want it, you'll never use it, you'll never eat it. It therefore becomes muksa. If it is muksa, it may not be moved. It may not be moved, you may not touch it for the duration of Shabbos. A soiled nappy. In real terms, a soiled nappy is something which is repulsive. Therefore, you're never going to use it, you're, you're never going to leave soiled nappies lying around. You don't want it lying around, it's muksa. It's muksa. The halacha, we'll, we'll discuss in a moment. The halacha of muksa machmas meals has a dispensation which you've all been waiting for. There is, though, in real terms, the halacha is that you may not move it at all, not for its own use, not for its space, and not to protect it in any way. But the Ehir Chazal, because of Kovod Abris, Chazal gave us a dispensation. And what the, the, the name of this dispensation is called, is called the uh, ability to move a graph ray. Now, a graph ray in literally is translated as a chamber pot. Now, if you go back historically, when chamber pots were used, you, you can imagine nobody wanted to leave a chamber pot around the house uh, for the whole duration of 24 hours of Shabbos. So Chazal said, something which is repulsive to the extent that you, you're repulsed by having it around, they allowed you to re- remove it from where you are. So a chamber pot, you are allowed, you were allowed to take out and empty it into wherever you empty it into, in order so that it should be removed from the home. The actual pot itself is repulsive. And therefore, you are in, allowed to take the pot out. The graf charay means the chamber pot. It doesn't mean a chamber pot which has um, any, which has been sold and has something inside it. It's the chamber pot itself is repulsive. You don't have that lying around your front room. Therefore, you are allowed to take it out on Shabbos because it's moles. Something despicable, something repulsive. You are permitted to remove from where you are on Shabbos. If, however, your chamber pot was outside in the yard, you haven't. There's no happy to move it. It's muksa. There'll be no happy to move it just because you want the space, or because, etc. Because to remove something which is despicable, that's also. Something repulsive is completely muksa. But to remove it from in front of you, that is permitted. That is permitted. To remove despicable and repulsive things from in front of you, that would be 100% permitted. Just to move it for the sake of moving it, that would be completely also. So, can I take my sole nappy? I have a sole nappy in the house. Can I remove it from the room to take it outside into the wheeling bin? 100%. It's muksa, totally muksa. It's muksa machmas meals, but graf shalrei, something which is repulsive, I'm allowed to remove from the vicinity of where we are. If I find a nappy in the street where there's an Arab and it bothers me, go inside the house. Nobody asks you to stand there. You have no permission to move that nappy. It's muksa, it's repulsive, it's muksa machmas meals, you may not touch it. The same would be if you found a dead rat or dead mouse in your house. If you found a dead mouse in your house, there's no doubt in my mind that nobody in this room would stay in the room together with a dead mouse. So you are 100% permitted to take that dead mouse and remove it into the weedy bin. It's muksa, totally muksa, but it's repulsive. Something which is repulsive is muksa machmas mias. You are permitted to remove it from the vicinity of where you are. If, however, it's lying in the alleyway down the side of your house, 
which you're not going to walk down the whole of Shabbos it's Shabbos to be lying there nothing you can do you leave it there till the end of Shabbos not the Shabbos you're going to remove it something which is repulsive is in it in essence it's muksa. there's an ability there's an allowance to allow you to move it away from the vicinity that you're in so you shouldn't be repulsed but more than that you may not do straight forward way there are some who, there are some things you do with the shimmy but, but because that's what Chazal said in order that you shouldn't be repulsed they allowed you to move it away now we use this test enormously we use this test quite a lot um, rubbish you have a, a, a bag of rubbish uh, and it's full and you want to take it out of the weed bin why are you allowed to take it out of the weed bin the chances are very high not always is your rubbish muksa a lot of the rubbish that we throw away is perfectly non-muksa items you have a, a I don't know what it may be a, a, an empty cereal box you put it in, in, in the recycle bag or you put it in, the, in your rubbish bag it's not muksa a, a large percentage of the rubbish that we put in our dustbins are not muksa but there is rubbish which we do put in the, in, in, in the in, in the rubbish bag, which is muksa. So let's assume that my rubbish bag has a mixture of non-muksa and muksa items in it. And it's now, the whole rubbish has become now despicable to me because I've mixed it together with uh, old food and old gravy and old chalent and, and etc. And it's all, it, it's, it's absolutely disgusting. So why am I allowed to move it? It should be muksa machmas meals. But the answer is, the only reason I'm allowed to move the rubbish out is because it's bothering me. If it's bothering me, if something despicable bothers me, I'm, I'm permitted to remove it from the house. I can take it outside and put it into the wheelie bin like normal because it's graph charade, it's equal to graph charade, I don't want it in my home and therefore it's completely mucked up. Uh, recently I had a, a call from, uh, I shan't say from who, it, it, somebody phoned me up and asked me a, a, a question. He, he, they have a, a dustbin, and they might be relevant to some people here, which is hooked on the inside of the kitchen cupboard door. Now, every time you want to put something into your rubbish, you have to open your cupboard door, put the rubbish in, and then shut it. Now, every time you open your cupboard door, what are you doing? You are moving a dustbin. Why are you moving the dustbin? Because it's attached. But I'm moving it so that I can put my rubbish in. So I'm moving it for the sake of the dustbin. Now, if I have inside my dustbin something, or if my dustbin is moss, it's repulsive. If I've really piled it with muksa things, so it's now repulsive. I put all my leftover food, etc. So my dustbin is now muksa. So why am I allowed to open my door? Every time I open my door, I'm moving something, an article which is muksa. Now, you'll look at me and say to me, uh, sorry, but I've learned to help with muksa for the duration of the winter, and we've discussed at length that something which is moved via another item is called tiltol minasad, and that's permitted. But we, if we remember, we learned tiltol minasad is only permitted for the purpose of the space, or for the purpose of something else. But for the purpose of the actual muksa item, tiltol minasad is not permitted. So here I am, I'm opening my dustbin, the door to move my dustbin to for what reason? To enable me to put rubbish in. That could be a problem of tiltal muksa. Tiltal muksa, let's say, of some which is most. The only heter really is that the, we're assuming that the rubbish inside the bin isn't most. But if you know you have something most in there, you're better off to take the rubbish bin out, throw it in the bin, and put a new bag in, and keep it non muksa for shabbos. Because you could end up, every time you open the door, put a piece of rubbish in moving something which is Muqsa Mahmas Mos. So again, it is practical. Muqsa Mahmas Mos is very practical. If you have leftover food on a plate, or leftover food on a table, you have, let's even stretch it, you have uh, chicken bones which are not edible, or meat bones which are not edible, and they're, they're, they're lying on your table now after your meal. 
despicable. It's muksa machmas kufar. It has no value for it. It's got no intrinsic value. It's muksa. It can't be eaten. So it's muksa. Why may I clean my table? Because it's disgusting. So we do use this hat of graf this hat of something which is repulsive, in order that it shouldn't repulse us, in order it shouldn't make us feel disgusted. We are allowed to remove it. We are using it all the time. We are relying on this hat time and time and time again throughout Shabbos. But we can't abuse the hetter. The hetter is only there when the item repulses you. If it doesn't repulse you, then there's absolutely no hetter to, to move it. Hopefully none of us will have a problem of a, a dead rodent, but you can come across muksa machmas mir. So if you have a, a moldy apple in your vegetable basket, if it's disturbing you, in the sense that it's in the way, then you'll be allowed to remove it. If it's in the corner of your kitchen or in a cupboard where it doesn't disturb you at all, there will be no hetter to move on Shabbos. You just have to leave it to the Shabbos. It might bother you that you know at the back of your mind that this moldy apple in your fruit basket and it's annoying you, it's very annoying, but if it doesn't actually repulse you because it's not in front of you, you will be not be permitted to move on Shabbos. If it's in front of you, if it's in the fruit basket, it's in front of you and it's disturbing you, then you can take it out and throw it in the bin. Let's move to the last part of Muxa and the final stage of Muxa, the Muxa which we discussed right at the beginning in the first Shira Muxa, which is pr- probably the, the, the most basic type of Muxa that we left to the last, and we left it to the last right at the beginning, it's the most basic type of Muxa because it's the one which is the most easily understood, and that's a Muxa called Noilad, something which didn't exist before the onset of Shabbos. If, if the, the premise behind Muxa is that something which is not being prepared for use on Shabbos is Muxa, then the, there's no greater form of unprepared item than an item that didn't exist before Shabbos came in. So an item which didn't exist before Shabbos came in before the onset of Shabbos and only came into existence on Shabbos, that is a totally unprepared item and that is completely muksa. The simplest example which Chazal talk about and, and there's a whole masechta based on it is called an egg which is laid on Shabbos on Yomtev. A beta shanol of Yomtev which is the opening line of masechta's beta, an egg which is laid on Shabbos and Yomtev. That egg did not exist before Shabbos. Prior to Shabbos the egg was not in existence. It's now been laid on Shabbos. The egg is a noilad. It's a new form article. It is completely and utterly muksa. May not be used, may not be eaten, may not be moved. Nothing. It's muksa and cannot be touched or moved on Shabbos at all. Another practical example of noilad, though it's, as I say, noilad isn't so practical uh, on a, day, on a uh, Shabbos to Shabbos basis. But another practical example of noilad, which the Halakha discusses at length, is can you use milk which, of a cow which will be milked on Shabbos? Milk of a cow which we milked in Shabbos, in true terms, is considered noilad. Now the reason why it's considered noilad is even though it was inside the other before you actually milked it, is because milk, when it's in part of a cow, is considered a food. A cow is considered a food, it's not considered a drink. So inside the cow is considered a food. So you've now changed it from a piece of cow to a drink called milk. You've created a new article. Creating a new article is therefore also on Shabbos, called Moilat, you may not touch it, you may not drink it, you may not move it, you may not drink it, it's muksa, it's called muksa because it is a new article. Again, there are practical ramifications of Noilad, but they're not so relevant, so we're going to put that aside. Where Noilad is slightly more relevant is on Yom Tov, more than Shabbos. There is an, an angle to, to Noilad which is permitted on Shabbos, but is stricter on Yom Tov and not permitted in Yom Tov. And that's a Noilad which, again, we're not going to go into details, but a Noilad where the article did exist before Shabbos. But the function of the article became a new function. The article had received a new function on Shabbos or on Yom Tov. So, for instance, an article which broke and 
in, before it broke, it had one function. After it broke, it can still be used. It's not like a completely broken article. It can still be used, but it can only be used for a new function. So take an example of a broken, um, a broken chair. It can't be used as a chair anymore, but maybe it can be used as a walking stick, a nice long leg. So it does have a function, but it's not the same function as before. On Shabbos, if the function is quite a natural function, you would be allowed to use it on Shabbos. But on Yom Tov, you wouldn't be allowed to use it. Because on Yom Tov, there's a stricter level of Noilab. Yom Tov is stricter when it comes to these halakhs and muksa than Shabbos. So that really brings us to the end. We've been through the six different stages of muksa. I just want to run through a few examples uh, which are relevant for what we've done today. Go on. A broken glass is repulsive. It's dangerous and repulsive. You can move it it's like gravitational rays. Correct. Yes. Yes. Any rubbish, any dirt. It is. It's bothering you. Dangerous. It's bothering you. The same thing. It's bothering you. You can remove it. You can remove it. But if you're really worried about muksa, you can remove it a hundred times. There's many different ways to remove a muksa. But anything which is dangerous or which is disturbing, which is repulsive, can be moved under the banner of gravitational rays. So let's go through a few examples, practical examples from the halachas that we learned today and that will wind up, wind up for us the, the halachas and muksa that will spend really the whole duration of, of the winter learning. Um, as we mentioned before, peels, pips, bones which are not edible, any food peels which are not edible, potato peels, etc. Um, orange peels maybe are edible, so that might not be so bad. Uh, the pips of any fruit is not edible and therefore considered muksa. Bones which are not edible are considered muksa. These are all muksa items. If they are in the, w- in the place where they re- repulse you, then you can remove them. If they disturb you, you can remove them. If not, you may not touch them at all. Chomets on Pesach. Any of us should find Chomets on Pesach, but if you do find a packet of Chomets on Pesach, be it on, sh- on the Yom Tov of Pesach or Shabbos Chalamot of Pesach, Chomets is Muksa. The reason why Chomets is Muksa is because Chomets you may not eat. It's forbidden. Something which is forbidden becomes Muksa Machmas Issa. If you find a packet of Chomets on Pesach, you put a, a vessel over it so you should be clear that it's a comet you're not touching it but you may not move it until Matzah Shabbos Matzah you can then remove it and burn it and, and uh, destroy it from your possession no Chalamoid Chalamoid yeah. or Shabbos Chalamoid but hopefully uh, none of you and none of us will find any comments in our homes on Pesach fruit fruit which has come from Eretz which before Shabbos and Yom Tov you didn't take Trumas and Maestros um, again, the halachas of Trumps and Maestros maybe we'll discuss perhaps uh, in, in another shit, but if we go down the road where we say that you have to take Trumps and Maestros from fruit which comes from Eretz Yisrael, which is the, the standard procedure nowadays, then if you have fruit which you're not going to eat now because you haven't taken Trumps and Maestros from it, on Shabbos, that fruit becomes muksa. It's muksa because you will not eat it due to a isa. Muksa machmas isa. It's no good. If you have taken Trumps and Maestros or you took challah, and you didn't throw it away, you didn't burn it, that challah, that truma, that maishas, is considered muksa because you may not eat it. It's now muksa machmas isa, can't be touched, has to be left there until after Shabbos. If you have um, a boss of the chalot, something, a piece of milk fell into, your, in, in, into a piece of meat which is now forbidden for you to eat, since it's forbidden for you to eat, it will become muksa, may not be moved on Shabbos. A- another case of muksa which is interesting is medicines. Medicines have no function for a healthy person. So if the home is a house of only healthy people, then the medicine has no value. You may not move medicines. Your medicine cupboard is muksa. The medicines in your cupboard are muksa. If, however, there is somebody who is unwell on Shabbos, then he may, or you may actually move the, uh, uh, bring the medicine for him so he can take it because that's a lot of medicine that you're allowed to, look, sorry, you're allowed to, you're allowed to give it to him. But medicine for no purpose at all is considered muksa. The then you must take it. 
definitely. You must take it. Shabbos, Yom Tov, whenever it may be. Yom Kippur maybe even. You must take it. Don't ever not take medicine the doctor says you must take. But if you are 100% healthy and you don't need to take medicine, then medicine is muksa. If, however, there was an, uh, an unwell person in the home before Shabbos, who that medicine was set aside for to take, then that medicine is not muksa for anybody. Because it now has a purpose. Its purpose is for the unwell person. So, medicine in, for, in, in a home which is a healthy home is, is considered muksa. Shutness. If you have a beggar which has shutness inside it, it will be muksa because it can't be worn, so it's considered a cage from Akhbar Issa. So if you've bought a new item of clothing which you need to take to the shutness center to check, since it now there's a worry that maybe this item has shutness inside it, it's muksa for the duration of Shabbos until you've actually checked it and you know that there's no shutness in there at all. Pets. I don't know if anybody has any pets, but if you have a cat, dog, fish, whatever it may be, rabbits, guinea pigs, if you have any side of ferret, any type of pet is muksa on Shabbos. Every animal pet are muksa on Shabbos. You may feed your pet on Shabbos because a pet is something which uh, is re- you are responsible for. If you're responsible for it, you may feed it. If you're not responsible for it, you may not feed it. So you can't feed a stray cat on Shabbos. But you may not touch even your own pet on Shabbos. So if you're a dog lover, you can't have your dog on Shabbos. I'm sorry. Sand is considered muksa. Sand is muksa because sand is something which has no intrinsic function. If, however, you bought yourself a sand pit and you bought yourself some early learning center a couple of packets of sand you filled your sand pit with sand that sand has now been set aside forever as a toy perfectly mutter there's nothing wrong allowing your children to play with the sand pit and Shabbos that sand is not mutter it's not it's been set aside for use once it's been set aside for use even though you've done nothing to the sand but you've set it aside permanently as a toy for whoever wants to play with it children, adults whoever wants to play with it it's therefore considered a non-mukser item a broken watch. A watch which is functioning has a function. It's a watch. A broken watch has no function. A broken watch, as we explained, a broken item is considered muksa. So a broken watch in itself will be considered muksa. However, if it's a watch is a tachit, if it's a piece of jewelry as well, it's an expensive watch, a gold watch, a diamond watch, etc., which you would wear even if it's not working, even if the, uh, wa- the actual watch is not functioning properly, you will still wear it as an item of jewelry, then it, it, it's not considered muksa shabbat. But if the sole purpose and its only function is one of a watch as soon as it's broken it becomes moksha and may not be touched or moved on Shabbos and let's finish off with an interesting halakha it would be considered the same thing yes because it's not functioning it's an item without a function you can fix it by putting a battery in so there would be a non-functioning item it would be moksha and finally a button from a piece of clothing. A button from a piece of clothing is very interesting. The, the Poskim have a, a long discussion whether a button is considered a muksa. Do we say the fact that it's not sewn on at the moment is considered it hasn't got a function? Or do we say it has got a function? Its function is to be sewn onto the baggage and, and to be used. Um, therefore, it's a huge machlek is where the buttons are considered a muksa. If the button is a button that you're never going to use again, it fell off and you're never going to use it because you've lost uh, the, the matching ones and you're never going to use it and you intend to discard it, then it's definitely muksa. If it's a button that you intend to use again, there are possible more maples. If you've lost it and if you've dropped it and you're worried you're going to lose it, you can pick it up and put it aside somewhere safe. If you want to be machmir, there's definitely a machmir to be machmir with buttons because it's not clear that a button has a, an intrinsic function and it's not considered muksa and machmir to play. That really gives us and brings us to the end of uh, the halakhas of muksa. We've really spent a long time on muksa, but I think it's been well worthwhile. Muksa is one of the halakhas which really do come up time and time and time again as we've seen in every year we've given you enormous practical examples of muksa time and time again open your freezer open your fruit cupboard your table money etc wherever you turn you, you are going to hit the issue of muksa on Shabbos so I hope it's given us a, a broad understanding to the halakhas of muksa and will enable us 
to keep Shabbos a, a little bit better with a bit more understanding of what we're doing. Most of us do know that basic halachas and muksa, but we don't really understand why, what, and where we, we were probably doing or not doing the halachas and muksa. And as Chazal says, anybody keeps one Shabbos or something, two Shabbos, then that gives the the the, the uh, of the Mashiach to come, brings Mashiach even quicker, and the discuss of keeping Shabbos should enable us to bring Mashiach. Let me just finish up with a very small vote. We're really running out. I wanted to finish early tonight. Uh, 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 just a very small vote on, on the opening words of, of the Megillah. The word Vayahi. Whenever the Torah writes, whenever Chazal, whenever the, the uh, anyway in Tanakh, the word Vayahi is used, it's the Lashon of Tzah. It's the Lashon of Sorrow. sorrow. Whenever the word Vahoyo is used, it's the Lashon of Simcha. It's a time of Simcha. So Vayahi Bimeach Hashverosh, as Hashverosh came to to sit on, on the throne in, in, in Persia. He took over the rule of the world. It was a time of sorrow. It was a sorrow for Tali Sorrow. And as the story of Purim unfolded, we realized what the level of sorrow that was there. There's a beautiful word that's said by many, many, many Mephoshim, Svasemis and, and many others. Why is Vayahi considered sorrow and Vahoya considered something positive? And, and they explain like this. The word Yehi, without the Vav at the front, means let there be. Yehi, let there be. It's talking about something in the future. Let there be means let there be a future. You put the vav at the front of yehi, you turn the future into past. Whenever you turn future into past, that's sorrow. To take a future and stop the future, the, the ability for that future to come about and turn it into a history, that's sorrow. What did Achashverosh want to do? What was the true sorrow of Achashverosh? The true sign of the time of Achashverosh was he took a whole future of Holy Soul by rubber stamping, literally rubber stamping the, the, uh, the scheming of Haman to kill Kalisol and to wipe out Kalisol, he was taking the whole future of Kalisol and turning it into history. Kalisol will be another nation that existed but would cease to exist. That's Vayahi, that's taking a future and turning it into the past. Whenever you take a future and turn it into the past, that's sorrow, that's sorrow. There can be no greater sorrow than the end, of the, the end of the line when there's no future to the past. The Hoya is the opposite. Hoya is there was. Zohoya, then you take a vava hippoch, you turn it into the past, into future, you've taken something which seemed to come to an end, and you turned it into a future, there's no greater joy. And that's really the, the fundamental lesson throughout the whole of Purim. The lesson of Purim is a very simple lesson. The lesson of Purim is, don't allow the past to remain past. Take, take the past and turn it into the future. We, we Kali Shorol, have a tremendous, tremendous history. We have a Messiah right down from Matan Torah, all the way down to where we are today. But we have a job to do. We have to take everything that we've learned and everything we've built and everything that Kali Shorol has achieved up until now and turn it into the future. Not allow the Western culture, not allow the world around, which is out there to try and prevent us from moving forward. to trying to do everything it can to stop us from achieving our, our goals and to turn us into a path, whether it's from Iran today or even Western culture. is trying to take us and make it, give an end our avoid is to make sure that Kalisol doesn't come to an end, that we take the past and everything that the past stands for and we turn it into a new future, a new future for the new generations and a future that will enable us to arrive at the, the Gulish Lema, the point where we will have a true future without any worries about the, uh, about the enemies of Kalisol. We'll be Zechat to the true Gula and the true Gulish Lema. Amen.